Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sense of meeting with you this morning. Lord, we confess that we want to draw close to you. And your word says that when we draw close to you, you draw close to us. So open our eyes and our ears and our hearts now as we come to consider these words. And I pray, Lord, that something of what I say may have the touch of the Spirit about it and bless people here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. So we're in John chapter 11. And... um, I just want to set it in context for where we are because I, was, I wasn't here last week, um, so for myself more than anything else. We're in the middle of a series which is about identity, which is about the question, who am I? Of course that's a really important question because an understanding of ourself helps us to understand the choices that we want to make in life and how to thrive. We began by saying that we are people who were made by God, intended in his image to be like him, to reflect his character. And then we said last week that we're also made for relationship. We're made for relationship with God and relationship with each other. And that those two dimensions are intrinsically tied up with each other. To love God well is to love each other well. And to love each other well is an indication of our love for God. And today what we're doing is we're exploring what it means to live in a world that is broken. Scripture tells us, and we'll explore this more in a couple of weeks' time, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and what has happened as a consequence is our world around us is lost, is broken. We see the brokenness inside us and we see it outside us. As people of faith, we acknowledge we live in a broken world and sometimes the reality of that is that it hurts. Isn't that right? Faith does not take that away, but I do believe it gives us a perspective which allows us to hope even in the middle of that hurt. And I want to share that with you today. In the past here, I've used an image of Russian dolls. Do you remember this? Imagine that your life is the small Russian doll inside the the series of different dolls. And something's going on in your life, but in that moment, in that little doll, you're inside that doll, and what you experience is what's inside that doll. And in that moment, inside that experience, it feels like that is everything. And it can feel overwhelming. But faith tells us that this doll of our experience, this moment that we're in, is inside the great doll of God's plan. And when we get to see the outer meaning, when we get to see the perspective of God on what's going on in our lives, then it can transform that experience, even if the hurt is something that we have to go through. I had two songs by you 2 in my head. One of them is this. You get yourself stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. And the end of that that chorus says, it's just a moment, these things will pass. My experience of life is that there have been some really tough times. Have you been in tough times in your life? And there have been some really good times. And both of them are seasons that we pass through. And both of them exist within the outer perspective of the story of God. Faith in Jesus makes a difference, both because Jesus enters our world and because he helps us see beyond the circumstances of our world. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And God's go- John's gospel, which we're reading from this morning, casts our understanding of salvation often in the metaphor of what it is to have something revealed to us. Jesus is God's revelation. That's what it says in those first words. We see God because Jesus comes. And into this hurting world comes Jesus. He reveals the glory of God and he sustains us through difficult times in his person and through his death and his resurrection, which I want to explore with you this morning. This being with us in our hurting and helping us to see beyond our hurting is the essence of the story of Lazarus that we're going to look at in a moment. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes these words. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I think this is a really great verse, or a couple of verses for you to reflect on and think. In a hurting world, we will continue to grieve. It doesn't say, I don't want you to grieve, does it? It says, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind grieves. Because without the revelation of Jesus, grief is just that. It is grief and nothing more. But if we grieve with Jesus, then he is with us in that grief. And he also gives us hope, which is beyond that. And I want to, again, to explore that this morning. The story of Lazarus begins in verses way before. It's a really long story in John chapter 11. You can read it in its entirety. And it begins with Jesus making a statement of faith to his, to his friends. Because news comes that his, somebody he loves, this man Lazarus, is gravely ill. And an urgent call has come. I'm looking at Richard there, dressed in the rapid response uniform that's there. Jesus had his rapid response paramedic uniform on, spiritually. The word came, Lazarus is ill, come now. And Jesus chose not to hurry. And he says, for very specific reasons, it says this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Where the glory of God and the glory of Jesus will be seen even in the midst of the hurting. That's a big thing to think for, isn't it? Very difficult time. I don't know what Ant's situation is like in his family at the moment. Very difficult time. And yet in the midst of that glory, Jesus says, you will see God's glory. What does that mean? The essence of this will be to pray in the physical restorations of Lazarus for people to see the hope of resurrection that there is in Jesus. Can you see the hope of resurrection in Jesus? Can you see that eternal hope and perspective? Because that is the thing that will transform your life. That is the thing that's there. The story says death is not the end. Sin does not have the last word. There is life in Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in the pain and grief of the present, Jesus is present in that as well. Both in the pain and taking us through the pain. This is what our faith promises us. And this is what we need to stand on. And I want to look at the story that we're coming through here to structure the story through the word see. Because what struck me in the verses that we've just read, if you've got a Bible open in front of you, you'll see this, is the number of times the word see or saw occurs in this story. 
Because the story is all about revelation and what happens when you see something and what Jesus does when he sees something. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus comes so that we will see God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. John's Gospel is structured around seven signs that happen throughout the Gospel. And each of those signs show people something so that they see who Jesus is. And the last and the greatest of those signs is Jesus' own suffering and resurrection, which reveals who God is for you. You are lost in your sin, but Jesus is dying for you. And therefore, you are not lost. You are set free. You are being made alive. And there is hope in the midst of this. So let's look at a series of sights, if you can. If you turn back to where we are, you'll see this. There are two encounters in this story between Jesus and the sisters of Lazarus. One is not in our reading with Martha. Martha's encounter is interesting. It opens with exactly the same words as the, the encounter with Mary. Lord, if you were here, then Lazarus would not have died. But the course of Martha's story is different to the one of Mary's story. Martha's story goes down a route that says, do you believe in the resurrection? And Martha says, yeah, of course I believe in the resurrection at the end. And Jesus says, but I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So her story is about pain, which turns to Jesus and finds hope in him. He offers hope. When Mary sees Jesus, the hope in Jesus is there, but the faith doesn't come through in the same way. If only hangs in the air over Mary's story. Here there is hurt and doubt and confusion. If only, if only, if only. But even without the faith of Martha's encounter, she does fall at the feet of Jesus. She does talk to Jesus. Hope resides in him, even if you can't see what that hope means. And the first step of faith is to turn to speak to God about something rather than run away from God and deny him in that. To see that God is the answer in our hardest times, not just the solution when things feel good. She still addresses him. She sees him, but she doesn't see beyond the immediate circumstances. And in a broken world without faith, then we see Jesus, but we don't see the hope that comes beyond that. And that's what's going to be explored a bit longer. This week, we're beginning, uh, we're thinking about the experience of her hope of hurting in a broken world. And we are emotional beings, aren't we? Do you have feelings? Do you feel things sometimes? Do you always like what you feel? Sometimes you love what you feel, but sometimes you don't. But we are created with emotion, aren't we? Emotion isn't an accident. It's there for a purpose. It's there so that we can help to get out what's inside. And when Jesus sees pain, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, Jesus shares that pain as well as addresses the pain. Romans 12:15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't say, stiff up a lip, feel nothing. 
It says, join in. There is a difference between two words in the English language which get confused very often. Sympathy and empathy. If you're sympathetic about a situation, what it means is that you express pity for somebody who's going through a difficult time. You are sympathetic to them. However, if you're empathetic, it means not only do you express pity, but you share their feelings. You step into it. You feel what they feel. And in this sense, I believe that Jesus was probably the most empathetic person who's ever lived. He steps inside our feelings and what we are going through, and he is there with us in them. He shares it entirely. In fact, not only does he share what we feel, but he goes further, and he carries our brokenness. He says, give me what you have, and I will take it to the cross. I will bear it for you in a way that you cannot bear it. The glory that this story of Lazarus will point towards and reveal is the glory of a crucified saviour who bears our sin right to the end. Jesus is not only with us in a hurting world, but he carries us through it and offers us hope on the other side. He points us from the inner Russian doll to the story of the big picture. And it changes things. It's very interesting when Jesus saw this weeping, he has two reactions that I want to take you through. First of all, it says, in the, this is from the New Living Translation, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within, her, within him, and he was deeply troubled. That's a really interesting expression, isn't it? In other translations, it says he was deeply moved. But in this translation, and there's good reason to think this is what the Greek actually means, it says a deep anger rose up from within him. So what was Jesus angry about in this situation? Is anger an odd reaction? Some people have said he's angry because the people who are wailing don't have faith that he's going to heal Lazarus. He's annoyed with them. Why don't you have more faith? That seems to me a little bit counter of the spirit of the story, don't you think, of what's going on? But many people say that what he is angered about is the brutal reality of death that he sees there. God created, and Ants alluded to this, in fact, where I was last Sunday at church, they also alluded it to there. In Genesis 1, when creation happens, it doesn't end and say, and what a mess. It says, and it was really good. So Jesus knows, because he was there in the beginning, of what the world is supposed to be like, what your life is supposed to be like. And scripture says that what happened was sin entered the world when we decided to live without reference to God. And when we live without reference to God, the breath that's in us has limits, and we wither and die. But that's not the way things are supposed to be. So when Jesus sees death, and he sees the way it affects people around him, he is angry. This is not the way we intended it. And I'm going to do something about it. How exciting is that? Don't you think? How exciting is that? He sees our hurts and pains and he says, not good enough. Not good enough. I'm going to do something which will address this. Death, which rounds secular views of life. If you don't believe in God, death means that life is totally meaningless, doesn't it? You have a few years here, and then it's all gone. So any meaning you have to create for yourself, and it will be short-lived. You might try and leave something behind, but you'll never see that. 
But death for believers speaks of the tragic consequences of sin separating us from God. Death which provokes outrage in the heart of God and which sees him confront it at, at the cross. The heart of the gospel says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The outer Russian doll says, you think it's really terrible here. You see pain everywhere and you are absolutely right. But that's not the full picture. That's not the full picture. You okay? Good. So Jesus' first reaction to the pain of, of, of what's going on around him and the weeping is anger. Come on, it's not good enough. I want to do something about this. But that's not his only reaction to it. His second reaction is compassion. When he sees what's going on around him, he weeps. Martha and her mourning becomes his mourning because Lazarus was his friend. And Jesus, whisper it quietly, was an emotional man. He had emotions. He felt joy and he felt grief. And you are made in the image of God. And these emotions are there for a reason. Don't be frightened of them. He speaks as someone who's really very unemotional. I have to access this part of myself. But it, uh, I believe in the power of emotion. I believe they're given to us for a reason. When Jesus sees, notice this word see right the way through it. When Jesus sees what they're doing, he weeps. In The Magician's Nephew, which is a C.S. Lewis story, there's a section where Gregory, who's one of the little boys, um, his mum is ill, and he just wants his mum to be made well, and he's talking to Aslan. And he desperately wants to ask and say, please, can't you do something? Can't you fix it? And he's full of tears, and it doesn't seem to be happening. And C.S. Lewis goes on and writes, but please, please, won't you? Can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up until then, he'd been looking at the lions. The lions, great feet and the huge claws on them. And now in his despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own and wonder of wonders. Great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big bright tears compared with Diggory's own, that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. This is the heart of Jesus in the inner doll, in your moment that you're stuck in and you can't get out of. You think you're sorrowful about that. He is with you and his tears are beautiful and big and bright because he loves you. So Jesus enters into our circumstances and is with us. But to leave the story there would be to miss the way that Jesus offers hope. He is with us in our circumstances. He does cry with us. But there's more than that. He will not ultimately leave us with the meaninglessness of death. Please don't leave this room thinking that life is meaningless because there's death around it and there's nothing more than that. There is. If Jesus did nothing more, it would be like us leaving us grieving like the world with no hope. But he doesn't leave us like that. He transforms death to life. He carries our death sentence to give us life. And this too is hinted at in John 11, because when he was weeping, some people said, look how he loved this man. And it softened their hearts, but others sneered. 
sneered at Jesus and said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? They look back and see the fact that he healed people of their blindness and helped them see. And yet, ironically, the people who are speaking are blind because they cannot see who Jesus is. They cannot see. And perhaps the greatest grace we have in life is that we see Jesus in our midst. Wouldn't you like to see Jesus in the situation that you're going through at the moment? I'm just saying. Wouldn't that be a huge comfort that you saw him and you knew he was there? Well, these people can't see that. But the end of the story is that the greatest hope we have is to open human eyes to the glory of God that's in him. Jesus is not only with us in our hurting, but he carries us through it. He is not only in the inner dull, but he is in the outer dull. And he says, look at this. Look at this. It makes a difference. So we've talked about how Mary went to Jesus when she saw him. We said how when Jesus saw the pain of people and responded with anger at the pain of death and with tears, how some responded to Jesus' empathy with the recognition of the fact he loved people, while others sneered with disappointment, remembering the healing of a blind man but not seeing themselves. And finally, Jesus returns to a confident statement of faith that he began at verse 4. Remember that? This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified. And in verse 40, we read this. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? Seeing the pain, seeing Jesus, blind to Jesus, Jesus' purpose, you will see God's glory. And of course, he goes on and offers the sign of Lazarus. Return from the grave, his death deferred. But the final sign will be in Jesus' own resurrection that defeats death and deals with the power of sin once for all. We live in a world of hurting, do we not? Do we not? And if we are blessed not to feel that, we are blessed indeed. We live in a world of hurt, and to live in a broken world is hurtful. But Jesus is with us in this. And we have more than the company of an empathetic man in a veil of tears, we have a Savior. And to hope in him is to find hope even in hurt, is to know Jesus in our inner dull moment and to see in him the greatness of God. So I hope all this Russian dull stuff makes sense to you. Did it? I don't know if it did or not. I was trying to show you a picture. You can think of circles inside each other. It makes sense, you know, to the perspective you have and what you've got. The story of Lazarus assures us that in a hurting world there is a healer. And the faithful knowledge doesn't deny, this is really interesting about Christian faith, I think, this is how to live well. You know, it's very easy just to say, oh, we've got hope. So we just deny hurt and we carry on as if that's it. That's not Christian faith. That's not incarnation. That's not the word become flesh. Christian faith believes in the hope that we have and is present in the pain and will not turn from it because that's the reality of the moments that we live for. We are caught in a moment, but we have a glimpse of eternity, which transforms that moment. John's Gospel says that Jesus came to help us to see God's glory, to see our sin, and to see our hope. And we live betwixt and between, in faith, or not. The second U2 song ends with this chorus. So I try to be like you. I try to feel it like you do, but without you, it's no use. 
I can't see what you see when I look at the world. When you look at the world, do you see what Jesus sees? Or are you struggling this morning because I can't see what you see when you look at the world? So my prayer for us together this morning is this. You are a beautiful family of me, and you have been for 15 years. We've gone through some tough times together, haven't we? There have been some tough days. We've had some lovely days as well. Let's not deny the reality of the pain that we feel when we feel it. But let's not be without hope in those moments. Let's see what Jesus sees when he looks at the world. And let's rejoice. I said to Alex and the others' uh, leadership this week that I've been thinking about joy. I think joy isn't just a feeling. I think joy is a verb in the Bible most often. How do you know joy? Are you disappointed because you just don't feel happy? I think joy comes when you become a person who rejoices. When we see who Jesus is, even in the midst of difficulty, there is blessing, perverse as it may seem, in rejoicing in him. Because that's where our hope comes from. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you.